everyone doing? Good, good, I'm glad. Uh, it's always a blessing to, uh, to get the opportunity to open God's Word um, to everybody. And, um, you know, uh, Pastor John's taking a few weeks off, and uh, if you don't know, he's, he's actually, it's, I, I give him a bad time for this, uh, someday it'll be Dr. Dr. John. He's going for his doctorate. And uh, so he's spending a few weeks down south at Master Seminary. Uh, and then the bulk of everything is done here through correspondence. So it's a good program, and I'm excited for him, and I know he is too. And so uh, I'm on next week, and then Michael's coming up. Uh, so we got, we got some good stuff, at least when Michael's coming, and we can say that for sure. And uh, I wanted to start with a question this morning. If those of you don't know me, I'm, I'm, I'm Ron Firstbrook, an elder here at Grace Bible Church, and I get the opportunity to do this once in a while. And uh, just so you know, my style is a little different, I think, through the years I've kind of noticed that. I got a lot of years of youth ministry in me, which is a good thing, I think, um, in, uh, in some ways. But in other ways, uh, I still like, feel, feel younger than I am. And uh, just so you know, I, I tried something new today. I don't know if you could tell, like sometimes I was like standing, standing over here, getting a little closer. I'm trying the, uh, I'm trying the old uh, no contact in this eye and a contact in this eye so I can like see you, but I need to read at the same time. Getting old has just been the best blessing I've ever had. And I suppose it's better than, well, I don't know, you know, we get to be in heaven, right? When, we're, when our time is done. But uh, I just feel like the last year and a half, two years is, has, uh, has been something. And Lloyd, you are like my example of uh, someone who serves well and uh, into the years God has given you. And uh, you keep in shape. And uh, I know you've encouraged me with different things. Like, Ron, just get walking a little bit. You don't have to, like, set a record tomorrow, uh, which is hard for me. But I just appreciate you. It's go Isn't it great to have people that you can watch who've gone before you? And they set an example, which is really kind of what we're talking about today. We're talking about examples. And, I, and the question I want to give you, not to answer uh, out loud, or is it, but have any of you ever imitated someone or have any of you ever followed somebody? Now, I think some of you will probably answer right now. They'll go, nope, I'm fiercely independent. I'm my own person. And I think sometimes as we do get older, we, we tend to be a little bit more comfortable in our skin. We, we tend to get a little more comfortable with who we are. If you think back to the pressures of junior high and high school and elementary school and even college, you know, there's that pressure to conform to whatever the group is that you're hanging out with. Um, but, but that, you know, I think as we get older, that kind of gets pushed away. You get comfortable. It's still, I think if we're honest, we start to see that there are those who influence our lives that they carry an influence. And, and whether we like it to admit it or whether, you know, we realize it as much as, as it happens, we are influenced by others. Do you know that today, if you were to talk to a young person, some of them have a career goal that's different than anything we ever would have even dreamed of when we were in high school or college. You know what some people's career goal is? I want a YouTube channel. I want to be an Instagram or social media influencer. That's what it's called, an influencer. I was reading an article last week that there's a food truck down in LA that serves soft serve, and apparently it's pretty popular, and they have a line, and you know, 
food trucks, you know, remember when they used to be called, <laughs> this is where I get the youth pastor in me, remember when they were called Roach Coach? <laughs> yeah, no, not anymore. Now it's like, hey, the food truck race, and we're endorsed by Food TV, and we sell soft serve. You got to like that. I mean, if they have soft serve, that's good. But there's a soft serve place down there, and the guy posted a sign. He says, if any more Instagram influencers ask for a discount, the price is doubled. No more freebies. I don't care if you take a picture of my ice cream on your Instagram, and I don't care if it hits 100 people or 10,000 people. Quit asking. But you see, we live in this culture. We live in a time now where millions of dollars are now allocated by companies to spot influencers on social media and on, and on uh, um, all the different YouTube channels and different things that are, because it reaches hundreds of thousands of people. And what do we call the people who subscribe to your page or your Instagram? We call them followers. We are a world full of followers. Amen. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so we do. If we look back on our lives, we find that we did imitate people. We, were, we have been uh, influenced by someone or something. If you're a musician, and I can speak a little of this, I guarantee your singing style, your playing style, has been influenced by other musicians, a type of music you like. Artists and animators will credit other artists as an influence on their style. In your job, I bet you've had a mentor at some point. And I always think back that uh, in the 80s, I had a pretty nice mullet at one point. And then I saw a movie called Top Gun, and I went high and tight the next day. It was a big influence. You see, these things, we copy someone. And don't, hey, you all laugh at me. Don't tell me that, ladies, you never went and got like the, the, the haircut that's, you know, was popular at the time. Or guys, the same thing. We are influenced. But now I ask this, at the basic core of who we are, what is a Christian? What is the basic definition of a Christian? A follower of Jesus Christ. A follower of Christ. And so for 2,000 years, Christ died, he rose again, the church starts. And God in his grace and mercy from every tribe, tongue and nation, it says, God has produced by his grace followers. And that's who we are. And so today, let's look at our example of who we're to follow in 1 Peter chapter 2 starting at verse 21. And we're jumping in the middle of context, and I apologize for that, but that's kind of what happens when you're a one to two Sunday kind of message. Verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin 
and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Today in our passage that we just read, I want to look and focus on three things. And this is what it is. Christ died and he suffered for us, leaving us an example to follow so that one, we would follow in his steps. The second would be this, that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. And three, that we would find healing in his wounds. So let's dig in. Let's start with number one. Christ died and suffered for us and left us an example so that we would follow in his steps. You see what we just read? For this, for to this, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You know, the first thing you can't help but see is in this book, Peter here is talking to Christians who it says they were dispersed and they were undergoing persecution. And, and as they were dispersed and moved around, Christianity was starting to take root and persecution for the faith and for following Christ was starting. And here it says, well, this, it says, Christ suffered. For this you have been called. You have been called for a purpose because Christ also suffered for you. Well, what is this suffering of Christ? What do you guys think it is? It's the cross. Christ suffered on the cross. Jesus Christ suffered unto death and he did it for us. That's what it says. Christ suffered for you. You know, right here at the start of our passage today, this really is the most important truth that we could ever understand and ever know and grasp and take in by faith as the truth. This is the most important truth there is. Christ died. Christ suffered for you. He died in our place. You see, Christ's suffering was more than just an example of a martyr. It's not the same as just if there was a political figure who died for standing up for what he believed in. No, Christ died in our place. And we're going to get into that a little bit more later. But this is the most pivotal point in all of history. Jesus Christ went to the cross. He died and he rose again. And it had a purpose. And see what this passage says? It says, leaving us an example that we might follow in his steps. Christ died and rose again to empower us. And that's even in the midst of our own suffering. Christ died to make us new. Christ died, and when we place our trust and our hope in his death on the cross, and when we accept that he took our place, we now know that Christ died to make us like him. And now we follow in his steps, the passage says. Now, in following Christ, we have the Gospels, right? We have a lot written on how Christ lived. We see how he healed. How he... Uh, went and spent time with political enemies, with the tax gatherers. And yet, we also see this, that Christ, we learn a lot in his death. And we know he's our example on how to live, but we also see an amazing example that we follow when we follow Christ in his suffering. 
We have lessons to learn and to see as we look at how Christ died. Now look at what Peter lists here. You can't, you can't remove one. It really is tied with Christ's death on the cross. And so I want to look at the cross. It says this, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Remember when Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, you brought a brood of vipers. How can you speak good things when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now think about Jesus on the cross. Christ's words, the seven words that he said, the seven sayings that he said, and we're not going to get into all of them today, but they teach us a tremendous lesson. In the midst of tremendous suffering, in the midst of great injustice, the words that Christ uttered on the cross are absolutely amazing. What was the one, the first one? On the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Let that sink in for a moment. In this act of injustice, in the midst of tremendous torture, cruel, cruel humiliation, there's no hatred, there's no anger, there's no violence. And what do we see in the heart of Jesus Christ at this time? Forgiveness. We just saying this is amazing grace. That's amazing. You want proof of Jesus' deity? You want to know that he was fully God and fully man? We see it in the cross. Oh, he suffered. He felt anguish. You want to see his deity? He had forgiveness in his heart. How did you do that? It's because he was God. And he knew he was dying for a purpose. You know, it's usually at the end of a sermon where I'd list application for our lives. But if you can't see application in this right now for how we live, we have to think about it. It's too important. See, as Christ is our example, and it's he who were to follow in his steps, that means as Christians, as followers of Christ, that we are a people who practice radical and gracious forgiveness to those who treat us the worst. Now, I know we've been hurt. All of us probably right now are going, you're on, you, you don't know. And I can think of people who've hurt me tremendously. And forgiveness is difficult sometimes. But yet, who was Christ looking at and thinking of as he hung on the cross? Father, forgive them. And let me tell you, it was us. It was those who were standing there, and it was those who he had come to redeem and to pay the penalty of their sins. You see, because of Christ's radical forgiveness of our sins, we too forgive. Christ died to provide payment or forgiveness for our sins. You know, in a few years from now, Pastor John's going to get to Hebrews 9. <laughs> oh, you caught that, huh? We're going to see this verse at this time. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. So Christ went to the cross knowing this, that there was a purpose, that forgiveness was on his heart, that redemption was the purpose and the plan. He was shedding his blood for us. 
And he, at the same time as he is taking and bearing our sins, he's forgiving us our sins. And he's saying, don't, God the Father, don't hold this against them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Is Jesus amazing? Do you want to have a sure and steady way to know that you're a follower of Christ? That you are following in his steps to live as he lived? It is this, freely and generously give forgiveness to those who wrong you, no matter how bad you've been sinned against. That is, that's Christ-like. That is our example. Christ suffered tremendously. He took on our sins. Mine alone gave him tremendous suffering, but he took yours also. And yet he forgives Forgiveness is all over scripture. It's how we know we're saved. We're never more Christ-like than when we forgive. Ephesians 4, be kind, verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. When we look at Christ, our hard hearts have to get crushed. And they become tender because we know we've been forgiven. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. You want to be like Christ? By His grace and by the power of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. Be tenderhearted, be tenderhearted and forgive those who sin against you. Think back to the cross also. We'll move on from there. But also on the cross, Christ is speaking. And we see the heart of Christ in his suffering. Salvation is on his mind. And it's proven. What's he say to the thief? Today, you will be with me in paradise. We see forgiveness and salvation on the cross. We see this promise of heaven to the thief on the cross. We also see Christ's care and love for others as he says... To John, take care of Mary, my mother. And then in the end of all his suffering, he says this. It's paid in full. It is finished. See, in the midst of tremendous suffering, we have an example, don't we, in Jesus. And we follow in the steps of our gracious and loving and forgiving Savior. And this is what Peter is telling us. He's saying, follow in the steps of Jesus. And we see this. Look at our text. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore and took upon his body our sins on the tree. You know, as we look at Christ and we see this list and we see our example as, as Peter expands on it, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. If you're going to sin, how often is the mouth involved? <laughs> A lot. Yeah, certainly we have sins of the mind, right? And we think some things, but oftentimes what we're thinking is what we just want to say anyways. And that reveals our heart. But yet here, 
He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. How many of you have ever been insulted? Like, for real. You know, you know what I mean, like, when I say for real? Sometimes there's teasing that goes on. And, and actually, in reality, I've got to be really careful about that. Many a times, teasing in my house has escalated into tears. And I think I'm funny, and, and I'm really not. Did I just say that? Did I really admit that? Why does everyone laugh? I still hear chuckling. But that's what happens. See, so often, the tongue is a fire, it says in James. In Proverbs 10, where there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Follow Christ in his example. His words were carefully chosen. Now, did he shrink back from telling people the truth? We just read a verse earlier. You, you brood of vipers. Is it brood or broad? Brood. You brood of vipers. How can you even say anything because your heart is so evil? That's good. How can you say anything good when your heart is evil? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. I may have shared this story before you, but you know, like apart from Christ, we have a heart of revenge. Do you know that? Again, if we're honest, I remember, kids are funny. I was a funny kid. And I'm sure my brother and I were, I don't even remember the full circumstances, but I have no doubt that we would probably be being picking on a kid or you know, the, the game we were playing probably got a little too rough or something. And the kid went home crying and we probably teased him about that. And, and uh, the next day, you know, we saw him. You know how sometimes like in the neighborhood, like everything's fine the next day. You don't even have to say anything. Like they come, hey, you wanna play? Yeah, let's play. And everything's, you just kind of look at each other and like, we're good, we're good. And whatever. Not this time. He goes, hey, guess what I did yesterday? Like, well, what'd you do? He goes, I went home and I made a huge list of revenge. Because you and your brother have it coming. Okay. Now to this day, thankfully, I don't know what happened. I don't think revenge hit. But it's like, whoa. I remember even as a kid, it's like, wow, you're angry. Okay. But if we're honest, don't we ever scheme in our hearts? You wronged me. I hope you get what you deserve. I always kind of marvel, and I'm not... As the Holy Spirit convicts you, that's more of what I want here. I'm always nervous giving examples like this. But every once in a while, especially when I hear believers say, it's like, oh, karma. Karma's going to get you. I believe in grace. I hope grace gets you. I really do. If karma is real, I'm toast. I'm in huge trouble. I need Grace. And you see, and that's who we are. We have to have a different mindset than the world. Let's pray that grace comes in, that grace floods in on those who wrong us. That's what Jesus is our example. He doesn't hold sin against us. He bore it, he took it. And yeah, I know that you probably have toxic people in your life who just beat you down. But yet, fix your eyes. We'll get this in, we'll get this in Hebrews 2. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith and, of faith. and as we keep our eyes on Christ, when these attacks happen, when we're wronged, we sit there and go, yes, I'm being wronged, but I wronged my Savior and he forgives me, so I forgive you. This is what we're called to do. 
Do you see how Christ is our example? And we see it on the cross. And the second is this, Christ died. Christ suffered. And he suffered for us and left us an example for this, that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. Christ bore our sins for this purpose, that sin would die in us and righteousness would thrive and live. You see, when we see the statement that he bore our sins, this is the truth of Christ's substitutionary atonement. I know, big words. Substitutionary atonement. It means this simply. He took our place. Christ died for us. Christ died for you. What you should have had, Christ took. You know, when I played sports, uh, I was... I'm, I still am. I was about to say I used to be competitive. I'm still actually very competitive. And uh, it just moves over to board games in my current condition. And, um, but when I played sports, I hated being substituted. So I was a soccer player. And I had this, my coach was from Scotland. So he had, the, I can't, that was poor. Um, but he, he would, uh, he would yell out when the play would stop. He'd substitution referee, and he would say that. And man, I'd be like, "Oh no, substitution!" And I would like turn my back to him. Like, I'm like, avoid on avoid eye contact. If I don't look at him, he won't even think about me. I don't want to leave the game. And he would say, "Okay, first Brook, you're out." I'm like, "No, I want to play. I didn't like being substituted. I still feel good." You know, and hold I'm, I'm not breathing heavy, even though you're like, your face is flushed and you're, you're dying and you don't have a breath in you. And it was probably right to be substituted. But I could not stand it. I did not want to get taken out of the game. I was too competitive. I had too much pride. I wanted to score the goal. I needed to play. This, though, is different. This is the greatest substitution that any of us have ever had. You see, I stood condemned. I was dead in my grave, deserving of punishment and wrath because apart from Christ, I'm wicked. All of us are just mere moments away from eternal judgment apart from Christ. But it says this, God being rich in mercy, he proclaimed, and he yelled something out, substitution. He said, Ron, I'm subbing. I'm subbing for you. You're mine. He said, Darren, you're mine. Gary, you're mine. Janet, you're mine. You're out of the game. You're out of the punishment game. Substitution. Well, who's coming in for me? My son. Jesus is coming in. Substitution. My son's taking your place. Jesus bore my sins. I didn't. Today, if your faith is in Christ, God proclaimed this substitution. You're mine. So what we see in the scriptures, Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, Jesus Christ, our sins. 
the iniquity of us all. Christ bore, he took our sins so that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. You see, this substitution has a purpose. We're now different. What used to reign within us is now suppressed. It's killed, in fact. Problem is, oh boy, we're getting into a lot of theology here. Problem is this, just to like, uh, Reader's Digest version, I guess. I don't know how you'd put it. It was like, we still have this though, don't we? We still have this body of sin, as Paul called it. And guess what? Before you knew Christ, like some of us had a lot of years of practicing sin, right? And so it, 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 the residue sticks. And then we're going to get into it in a moment and we'll see how, kind of how this works. But we're now alive in Christ. See, what the, Christ, the death of Christ has done is this. We're now free. We're now finally free to do what's right. Scripture says, there is none righteous, no, not one. The verse we just saw before, all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, on our own, we're, we're lost and we're, we're in bondage. But now in Christ, the chains have been removed and we're now free to live righteously because of Jesus Christ. And so now, guess what? We get to leave our past with God. We no longer carry the burden of our sins because Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross. Christ proclaimed this. He said, it is finished. It's paid in full. And this is great news. We have freedom from sin. We have freedom from guilt. But there's extra good news in this. And that's this. We now have a life that is enabled to live right or to live righteously. Now, would it be good news if the Bible said Christ's death took away the guilt of sin, but it still left us enslaved to its power? If you have this thought process that, oh, we can go on living as the world does because Christ died for my sins and I don't have to follow Christ's life in his example, actually, sadly, that would show that you love sin and not Christ. But if you long to be set free from guilt and sin and sin's enslaving power, then we have awesome good news. All things truly are new for us. We now walk, as it says in Galatians, in newness of life. See, God's word tells us this. It says you have been set free from sin and it no longer reigns in our bodies. Now, I think it's important here to remember that the Christian life is a continual process of being made into the image of Christ. It is a continual process. I think oftentimes, I think we, forgive, we forget this. And I think sometimes we get discouraged at this really, I guess I'll say never ending, although it will end. You guys know when it'll end? When we're with Christ. But as we are breathing and living, it's not going to end. We have this process of becoming made into the image of Christ. It's called sanctification. And that is the process of being made like Christ. And it's a lifelong, it's a lifelong process. And see, it's important to know this as we pursue righteousness. It's important to remember that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. 
He's working on us. He's always changing us. Always. You see how this works is something is revealed. Sin is revealed to us. The Holy Spirit does this work. And then instead of saying, nope, not sin. I'm still going to live that way. We agree with God. We agree with the conviction. That's where it says, don't quench the Spirit. It means when the Holy Spirit, when God the Holy Spirit tells you through His Word that something in your life is off, you don't fight it. You agree with God. You say, oh. I mean, think about it. In our flesh, I think sometimes our pride wells up and say, I don't think it's as serious as the Holy Spirit just told me. Oh no, it is. But sometimes we just want to hold on to something. And usually that's our pride speaking. I'm not as bad. And then we start comparing ourselves to others. And it just becomes this mess of not just simply agreeing with God. When the Spirit convicts, we need to agree with God, turn from sin, and run to Christ. It is the power of Christ in us that works to change our lives. Now, illustrations always break down, so just be gracious to me a little bit here. And uh, I kind of want to share just a little bit of, this is silly, and I probably should have just struck it from my notes, but I'm not going to. It's there for a reason. I'm going to trust that God put it there. So, just talking about how we change. Uh, Many of you know I was a salesman with large sales territories for about 15 years. I mean, I put like 35 to 40,000 miles a year on a car. And uh, when I started out, all I had was a pager. Remember those little things? You know, and and every customer, 911, you know, call me right now. Like, really? This better be 911. And you know what I would do? I'd actually, because I hated pay phones, for kind of a germaphobe. And uh, I'd find a hotel that had a whole bunch of payphones. And you would see salespeople at lunch hour going in. I'd call the uh, company operators. They'd patch me through so I wouldn't have to pay for my phone calls. That was extra. Anyways. But then, ho, 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 what a generous company. They gave me a cell phone. Like, this is great. We did not have distracted driving laws at that time. So can you imagine the freedom I was given when I got this cell phone, I'm like, yes, this is great. I'm in the car. I'd call on the phone up one time. Then I went to a company that was really technology savvy, and they gave me uh, like the earliest generation of an iPad, even though it still had a keyboard and it was a Toshiba kind of deal. Oh, I had all my pricing in one little place. Do you know what I used to do when I would drive? Phone in this hand, laptop open. They'd call, what's my price? Give me a minute. Let me put you on speaker. You're not going to hear me well. And I drove like a madman. I would sit there and just type away, and I would get pricing. Hey, here's your price. I'm going to make you a deal. You know the things the sales guy does. Are you going to buy? If I give you this price, are you going to, you know, that kind of thing. Negotiate the whole bit. I'm doing this while I'm driving. Well, then the laws come in. And even though I don't do that anymore, how easy do you think, after 15 years of road life, how easy do you think it was for me to change my habits? Not very. The, the, now my, I'll admit, I am not exactly Mr. Non-Distracted Driver. 
I'm trying to do better. I really am, but the family gets on me. Let us change the music. Well, you know, you know I, I'm always music. I can't, someday I'll have a car where I don't have to leave, leave my hands at all. But see, there was a behavior, what? For safety that had to be changed. Law one said, quit touching your cell phone. Don't even touch it. To, to, you know, when before it was like, do whatever you want. My life has been this process of agreeing with the CHP <laughs> and the rules and, and the laws of the state of California and common sense taking over. Don't be distracted. Now, I, trust me, I see distracted accidents all the time in my current line of work. They're up, they're up like crazy. But see, there's this process. And this is what dying to sin and living to righteousness is like. We allow Christ to change us. We have a conviction and we change our habits. We change them. And we do this through the power of Christ. Now, I gave you something silly. But really, apart, I mean, before Christ, I've heard some of your testimonies. And sometimes, like, during baptisms, my heart just overflows. Sometimes I hear people say, it's like, I was an angry person. And I look at them now in Christ, I go, you have to be kidding me. I don't see anger in you at all. In fact, I see kind, and you're kind of fun to be around. I, I get joy in your presence. Most of us don't like being around angry people. It just, it, it's not the best thing. Then you have other people who say, I struggle with, uh, with lying. I'm like, really? I don't see that in you. No, like they're brutally honest. Or whatever, name the sin. You see what we see, and this is what I want you to understand, this process of sanctification. Don't get discouraged in the process. Embrace it. Allow God's word to work. Don't get discouraged. We start comparing ourselves with others. Look, your sin struggle is not my sin struggle. And so what do we do? As a people of God, let's let grace reign. And how about this? Rather than just like, oh, you're a mess, you're a mess, you're a mess. Man, if a church starts pointing out messes like this, just stop. You're a mess too. And what do we do? Allow God, the Holy Spirit, and trust Him that this is going to be working in each and every one of you. And then Grace Bible Church becomes Grace Bible Church, where grace reigns. And allow God to change. And you know what? If we get out of the way, seriously, sometimes with people, that doesn't mean that we don't encourage one another, that we don't pray for one another. That's not what I'm saying. But this condemnation that sometimes comes within church walls has to end. The Holy Spirit does the work. Trust the Holy Spirit, I beg you. Trust Him. If you really believe in the sovereignty of God, that means you trust in the sovereignty of God with your neighbor and our brothers and sisters. And it becomes this marvelous thing of sanctification. We know God is changing us. And sometimes we're frustrated. Sometimes we're frustrated in our own lives. But can you imagine... You come to Christ, and out of nowhere, every sin struggle that you have is revealed. Would that be a burden or what? Oh, I'm so thankful. Now, I wish one day I would wake up, and I go, uh-oh. And I, honestly, I mean, the conviction is difficult. All right, I'm not sugarcoating this. 
Like this is a fight. That's why it says run the race. That's why we buffet our bodies and we make it our slave. And this is why Paul uses the language that he uses. This is difficult. But as we immerse ourselves in God's word, as we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the word of God, hey guys, gals, friends, we're going to be continually being changed. And so rest in the grace of God. Rest in it. But don't let this become a license where you just go, oh, no point in steering now. No, allow God's word to work and trust that it's working in your brothers and sisters. I was joking with Karen even this morning. You know, friends, if you want your spouse to change and and you know, we were joking, we, were, we can smile about it now, but sometimes it's not so smiley in the first brick house. Well, I mean, I'll say, I don't know if I've ever really changed Karen. I'm not so sure Karen's ever changed me. But I can say this, God's word has changed us through the years. Grace. Gracefully or, or trust in the sovereignty of God with your spouse and your children. And if someone's not saved, proclaim grace. Show them the cross. Show them the goodness and the greatness of Jesus. Allow Christ to keep changing you. Realize that conviction of sin is a gift. And Christ is good. And God is good to reveal sin in our lives so that we would turn from it and be more and more like Christ as we live out our days. And then finally, number three. I'll just quickly hit this. Christ died and left us, left us an, an example that we would find healing in his wounds. Christ lived and suffered and died for us so that we would be healed. The cross makes us new. The cross heals us. See, look at our verses. By his wounds, by his death, you have been healed for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, through the cross, through the life of power and power of Christ in us, we're exactly where we need to be. We are with our shepherd, who oversees and cares for our soul. And it's great, if you look at this passage, it doesn't say, it's great that it doesn't say, hey, healing is possible. It doesn't say healing might happen. And this is not talking about physical healing of our infirmities and such. Although God, we, he does heal us from these things. I've heard miraculous testimonies that I absolutely 100% say God healed you physically. But what is the most important healing that we have? We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but in Christ we've been made alive. By his wounds we are healed. And this healing is a spiritual and absolute healing. And it was accomplished on the cross by Jesus Christ. So now we have a testimony to proclaim to others. We can share our freedom. We can say, I've been healed by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And now we do truly walk in newness of life. So it's weird, you know, as we close, application. 
I'm just going to mention a few things, but I'm going to trust, again, as I just preached, allow the Holy Spirit to provide your application. Are you following Christ? Do you follow his example? I would say this. One, give thanks from where you were to where you are today, and by faith, know where he's going to take you. I'm going to leave it at that. There's so much else in here. This passage actually is super rich, and uh, in a lot of ways, I could just share openly with you, there's a lot of um, insecurity, I guess is the word. Like when you get something this rich, you just go, oh, I could go here, I could go there. God, I mean, this is so, this is such a text. But I'm going to trust that God, by his mercy, will speak to us through his word this morning wherever we need to be. If you don't know Jesus, I pray that you saw Jesus today and you saw a Savior who died for your sins. If you know Christ, I pray your heart is full of thankfulness and gratefulness and you rejoice that he's taking you here and he's taking you to glory and he's always changing us. So wherever you're at, isn't God good? He sure is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for uh, those who are here. Father, we would we'd, uh, pray for those who were unable to make it today. Lord, we know there's lots of vacations and the summer is full of activity. Um, Father, be with those may, may, uh, who are not here with us for various reasons. Lord, thank you for your love for them. Lord, thank you for your love for your church and your people. And Father, I just thank you for this particular body. Father, I pray that we would be a people who who uh, are forgiving and gracious to one another and that we realize that we act this way because of all you've done for us. Thank you. Thank you for the cross, that on the cross you took our sins, you bore our sins. And Lord, that for us who know you, you yield substitution and you sent Jesus to take on, take on our punishment that we deserved. The completely holy died for the unholy. Thank you for your amazing grace. Give us hearts of love, forgiveness, compassion. May we truly be a people and a church that follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, following his example in all we say and do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.